Hello, and welcome to the third season of the Pros Travel Podcast, The View from 30,000 Feet. I highly recommend you check out the first two seasons if you haven't already. This podcast is about digital transformation within the airline industry. In this season, we're focused on the recovery of the industry from the pandemic and sharing how key strategies around digital transformation are still as important today. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another season of The View from 30,000 Feet. My name is Aditi Mehta, and I'm the host of this show. Last season, we focused on big and small structural technology-related changes that airlines are undertaking to drive digital transformation. A lot of has fundamentally shifted in the airline industry in the past few months. So the next few episodes, we will look to focus on what this change means for airlines, what they should focus on, and how digital transformation is still a key pillar for driving recovery. Today, I have with me Ricardo Pilon, Senior Executive for Air Cargo here at Pros. Ricardo has a rich history in the airline industry, and I'm very excited to have him here to talk about the relationship between air cargo and passenger air and how airlines can be strategic and sustainable in their recovery. Welcome, Ricardo. Hi, Aditi, and thanks for having me. Great. So let's jump in with what's your background? How did you end up in the airline industry? Yeah, that's always a good question. Um, well, I was born in, in Curacao, the Netherlands uh, Antilles. And I was actually very often close to planes. The reason why is my father ran a road construction company in the Dutch Caribbean. And that company also paved most of the runways at the various airports, including the one at, in St. Martin. So I was often allowed close to aircraft. And I think with a bit of international blood, I was inspired by aviation, and, but also the mobility it represents. So after high school, I went to specialize, in, to specialize in air transport economics and airline management. And I got a number of postgraduate degrees in, in various countries, uh, culminating in a PhD in strategic airline management. And then I went on to work for airlines. I was part of an airline startup in Canada. I worked for airlines. I later worked with airlines, assisted them as an independent advisor. And initially, I spent a lot of time in revenue optimization, but over the years, I moved into business model transformation, uh, also restructuring transactions and business valuation, and then uh, also became a chartered business valuator and uh, later a professional and personal certified coach. So yes, I've been very active in in this industry. Wow, that's a really amazing deep history within the airline industry. So what are your learnings from past crisis that have negatively impacted airlines? I know there's a lot of conversation that this is unprecedented, this is something new, which it is, but is there anything from your past that you've learned that can be applied to the situation today? Yeah, so I've been in the business for just short of 25 years, but clearly as part of my education and and from the people I learned in the industry, I also know historically what happened during crises in the past. But first and foremost, I'd like to always make the point that even though the industry represents mobility, the business is actually not that mobile, if you will. Now, what I mean is um, it's a very capital intensive industry, which uh, has a lot of high fixed costs, also labor intensive and is not as flexible to shifts in demand as one may think. So other than drastic moves, such as grounding aircraft, 
uh, capacity that's not easily adjusted uh, is actually very difficult. So also starting new markets overnight is not realistic, not only because there are startup costs to launching new markets, routes, uh, stations, and building routes. Um, simply, if you look at them as business units, it takes time. Then on top of that, given the highly regulatory nature of civil aviation, air services agreements and traffic rights, these are not readily available and often airports are constrained. So what we've learned is that we need more flexibility and we actually need more leeway to cooperate when bad things happen overnight. Uh, perhaps we need more leeway to consolidate in order to facilitate a faster and also a better balance between supply and demand. So apart from capacity, different business models um, are also impacted by and can respond differently to industry shocks, whether they are of recessionary nature or because uh, terrorist attacks or pandemics like SARS and, and COVID-19 that we've seen. So global airlines with large networks relying on hubs and feed traffic to build traffic density, they are more sensitive to crises that reduce that density, particularly when, for example, the business travel completely drops. Leisure and low-cost carriers that rely more on point-to-point -point traffic are somewhat more shielded from these shocks, depending on how they occur. So if you look at the global financial crisis in 2007 and 2008 and beyond, low-cost carriers actually capitalized on the opportunity to expand. Uh, they deployed modern aircraft, new aircraft, more efficient aircraft. They launched new routes that also drove away passengers from main lines with their heavily discounted fares. So what we actually witnessed during that crisis is that their average route length, so the distance flown, increased. And they also saw an increase in the total spend that their customers did by passenger due to attractive fares and ancillary revenues, such as uh, personal choices, seat selection, baggage fees, etc. Now, with COVID-19, the situation is completely different. When the industry essentially comes to a standstill, all the airlines are affected. All passenger and all forward bookings are affected. So now, all of a sudden, the priorities are fairly similar for all of them, number one, they have to stem the bleeding, they have to rationalize their cost where possible or ground aircraft where they have to. Two, they have to resize the system, for example, by retiring less efficient aircraft, renegotiating leases, or temporarily uh, reducing the workforce. Three, they're looking at restructuring the financial structure by finding a better balance between uh, equity and debt, but also raise funds for continuity. And finally, number four, they all have to draft a blueprint for recovery and the associated business model that will support this, uh, this recovery. So on that last point, most in the industry agree that not all travel segments will rebound at the same pace which further depends on how also the underlying economy and its locomotive behaves. But there is an opportunity for the business at an industry level to collaborate more 
more than when we saw coming out in previous crises, when aggressive overexpansion and almost guerrilla-style fair discounts uh, to steal market share really undermined profitable recovery. So at a reduced scale, the industry uh, is expected to keep a tighter lid on, on the capacity. Right. You make some really interesting points, and I think some of it drives towards, you know, in, in, traditionally in this industry, there's been a lot of excitement around how can this industry transform? How can we be faster, more agile, more flexible? Are concepts like digital transformation, innovation, investment a thing of the past when people have to, when especially leaders in the airline industry have to think about cost-cutting measures? That, that may appear so, but actually the innovation, uh, including digitization, will continue to be of pivotal importance, especially for a successful and sustainable recovery. Also, because they help reduce costs and generate all, basically new types of revenue. So as we are increasingly adding value, also through the use of artificial intelligence, for example, to customize offers, and meet new customer needs or new types of needs, the expectations are also that we need to manage them in this, in, uh, with regard to the fact that the offers need to be more relevant. They need to be more efficient and it needs to be more custom made as to what people are expected when they shop online. So in fact, we're going to see more personalization and more customization and going to see new types of services uh, that people are now looking to get with regard to, for example, safety. So when we look at some of those priorities, first, and it may sound very basic, but it also relates to innovation and digitization. We need real-time information about travel advisories that need to be incorporated into planning travel tools, booking engines, governments and airports, but also airlines can work together to have the most updated information embedded online, but also through mobile platforms. And people expect to have more, to get more peace of mind and require this information to be available and, and up to speed. So second, it is clear also that the latest crisis has made many businesses and people even more agile and more willing to adopt to digital ways of working, planning, uh, but also the purchasing of goods and services and communicating as we all do at work right now. So that means we can actually expect an acceleration in the integration of new services and goods that we previously did not buy online, even when it relates to travel and travel planning into those new travel planning tools. So even the bundling of, for instance, travel and destination, not transport related, but destination related products, where personalization becomes not only part of the customer's desired product, but also the expected product uh, will, will become very uh, of a fair amount important. Now, how all this is experienced also depends in part on how the planning part of that feels online. So again, that's the digitization part. Now, to illustrate, what people do during their trips as part of an overall digital experience uh, is important as well. So instead of, for example, looking at flights, hotels, and so forth separately, lifestyle platforms that allow the planning of experiential trips and activities, or such as activities and 
museums, operas, wine tours, or any type of special interest and in, in highly niche type activities become feasible as the suppliers get to know individual customers better, but it still has to be aggregated. So if you apply this to business travel, for example, it could be specific preferences for efficient stays and meetings and the organization of meetings. But this is typically quite outside the scope of airline marketing today, but it won't be anymore. And airlines should prepare for new types of airline marketing services and as an extension of this purely transport related product for when the economies rebound and when and people are, are able to travel again. So all this in some means that content aggregation, personalization and loyalty will have to be packaged and it has to be very easy to interact with from a customer's perspective. And those who will master this digitally, those will be the ones, those will be the ones to set new standards. Finally, and that's the third point. The COVID-19 pandemic has also revealed something we thought to be unrealistic and actually became realistic and it's virtual travel. So through, for example, virtual and augmented reality, we can have people experience foreign trips or destinations without traveling by air. And I'm not talking about a, a sneak preview. So this means that by building special studios or uh, who knows, even in stationary or parked aircraft, we could create new value propositions. Now, this could never be deployed on a wide scale and it will never replace air travel, but a segment or a small part of the market would consider this as an alternative that could become in part a small new market as well. In fact, it may even be a response to some climate concerns uh, to some extent. So, for example, some people today are enjoying virtual safaris in Africa through virtual technology. And there's no reason why airline marketing could not extend beyond to what it has done in the past into what I would call all-inclusive offer management and optimization. But anyway, Aditi, uh, first things first. <laughs> right. It sounds like a lot of different areas that an airline could focus on. And some of this stuff, like you mentioned, is items that they've talked about for a while now. Is there any recommendation you would make in terms of what to prioritize, what to focus on first? Yes, there, there is. And um, what I see, but and also what, I, what we see in, in the business going forward is that the priorities are around basically three pillars. So first is customers, second is offer management, and third, business operations. Now, I recommend airlines to follow five fundamental pillars of initiatives in those three areas. I abbreviate, abbreviated that as SADA, which actually happens to stand for most fortunate. And this is a coincidence what I found out. So S-A-D-A-H, and it's stabilize, automate, digitize, aggregate, and harmonize. Now, number one, stabilize. So what I mean is the priorities really in these areas are first to stabilize and improve the accuracy of informational tools, the tools to communicate to and connect with the market and the customers by aggregating all content in all channels. Second is to automate these processes and processes to reduce heavy and labor-intensive 
or slow tasks to, to uh, completion to reduce cost, number one, but also related to passenger handling, especially if we're going to see changes at airports related to safety and health checks uh, and so forth. Third, digitizing existing, but also to add new value added processes. So digitize existing processes and new processes focused on increasing the value for customers, but also stimulating the incremental spend on relevant items, just a, such as safety, security, insurance, personal space, personal health, hygiene, uh, but also, and then maintain all these and many numerous digital touch points that we have with our customers as, as airlines, I'd say, almost like a concierge. Fourth of the SADA is aggregate, which is invest in new digital platforms that aggregate these various business functions and how they operate within an overall business model that allows airlines to interact with customers, not only to improve the relationship, but to better align their expectations and also relate to the purpose of travel and the travel related support and purchase options combined with loyalty, because we need to understand each uh, individual customer and each ad, uh, which has a, a, he or she will have a different uh, behavior at different points of, uh, of the trip, but also the kinds of trip. So that is the support that passengers need at destinations may be very different than the types of support we expect when it's related to purely transport. So we can look at aggregating content that includes everything that is not transport or is not related to hotel stay. So this opens up all sorts of new opportunities. Then finally is the H of Sada, so harmonize. And what I'm referring to here is to harmonize the practices across an airline's marketing and alliance uh, relationships as well. So that the offers that are being made or being marketed are also marketed consistently across the airline alliance, so the, the cooperative airlines relationships, but also, and more importantly, experienced consistently right so i'm going to pivot a little bit we, we've been talking a little bit more around passenger air but your background a lot of it is in air cargo can we talk about the balance that airlines right now have to strike between passenger air and cargo yeah so indeed um my career actually has been almost evenly split between air cargo and the passenger business but in both cases, it involved business model related work. Uh, well, speaking of the business models of the various airlines that operate in the air cargo market differ. So they differ in the extent to which they are considered more of a secondary uh, or byproduct that generates incremental revenue to fully fledged separate legal entities that have their own bottom line. Now, this has an impact on, on how it's treated, uh, but also which costs uh, have to be covered and, and how the capacity is priced. So whereas the, let's say, the global average of revenues uh, produced by air cargo for those airlines that operate both on the passenger side as well as cargo is around, let's say, it's about 6%. There are clear exceptions. For some airlines, it's a lot more, like Lufthansa Cargo, or Korean air cargo, in which case it's closer to 45% of total revenues produced by cargo. 
Now, a lot of this is related to the passenger network, uh, the use of wide bodies, uh, but also more, to, more so to the geographical location and the home market they are in. For example, whether there's a lot of high value manufacturing activity uh, or, um, or the density in those markets in terms of export. But the shipping community, so those factories, they look at most of this capacity, the cargo space, as commoditized capacity. So this makes pricing and sustainability in air cargo a bit, uh, I would say, wobbly. Right. And so you mentioned sustainability. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Can cargo be a sustainable or alternative revenue opportunity for airlines going forward? So absolutely, yes. Uh, specifically, also because it's, it's often the fastest way of moving something of value, either in terms of uh, well, dollar terms or because it would otherwise perish. But this is why market segmentation, so dividing up the market by looking at specific needs and adding special services for cargo, such as climatized containers for temperature-sensitive freight, is very important. But this differentiation also requires investment uh, which ultimately will produce a healthier mix of revenue, but it has to make sense and requires a certain level of uh, minimum scale in order to have density where you can do this. So for most airlines that are fortunate enough to be based in larger economic catchment areas, um, yes, there is definitely uh, more opportunity to differentiate the market, uh, but air cargo itself will always continue to be a valuable service to the global uh, community. So in general, how has this air cargo piece of the business been like in the past and has it changed or what is the situation currently with the COVID-19 pandemic? So in the past, uh, through the crisis, crises, we have seen sharp drops in demand, sometimes between 15 to 35% followed by obviously drop, uh, sharp drops in capacity. And then we have seen the early retirement of aircraft. We've seen bankruptcies of freighter operators, but this is the first time that a pandemic um, combined with economic headwinds affect the passenger business more than the cargo business. Uh, it is furthermore also pretty much shielded from all the necessary investment and costly modifications to services that have to be put in place to allow a successful recovery. So cargo doesn't need social distance. It doesn't need mouth caps. Uh, it doesn't need the cleaning of in-flight screens, armrests, and so forth. But interestingly enough, because of this lack of capacity that happened during the grounding uh, or the temporary grounding of aircraft, air cargo was lacking space. So airlines have been very agile and shift to deploy passenger aircraft as freighters or passenger freighters either by having cargo strapped in the seats in the cabin or by stripping seats completely and using some passenger uh, aircraft um, for cargo on the main deck so passenger deck and on top of the cargo that is traditionally carried in the belly holes of passenger aircraft so we've seen airlines respond very creatively very swiftly to an opportunity um, but also to ensure business continuity to support the shipping community, not only for urgent shipments, for medical requirements, um, but also to support the global economy 
and uh, contribute its, uh, its part. Right, that's very true. I definitely saw over the course of the last couple of months a lot of emphasis on the great things that airline cargo has been able to do to support their communities through through cargo. Uh, going forward, you know, what are the areas that airline cargo can capitalize on, and what are areas that there is still room for improvement? So most of the opportunities are actually more on the commercial side. On the operational side, um, airlines have uh, invested heavily in the, in the last 20, uh, 20 years on technology and uh, warehouses and equipment. And, and it's a very entrepreneurial business where every cent matters. So it's a very efficient um, transportation business. So the significant room that exists for improvement is in more automation on the commercial side. And I mean the commercial functions which would allow cargo managers to spend more time on, for example, gaining real-time insights into the business rather than executing some of the day-to-day -day more operational uh, administrative tasks. So the information and the intelligence today is there, but it's, it's, the way it's gathered is not quickly enough in terms of uh, making speedy decisions. It's also not deep enough, or there's not enough time to respond. So automation using more science uh, that can drive for example drive but also guide pricing capacity and network decisions that take into consideration specific customers as well as their loyalty are crucial and also to be ahead of the competition uh, it's one of those items that makes difference in fact as they say the crumbs are left for those that still need to depart that's really interesting. I think this leads to some of the concepts that I've heard you talk about uh, previously around commercial optimization. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you mean by commercial optimization and how it could help cargo companies? Absolutely, with pleasure. So in the past, we've often used terms as pricing, pricing optimization and revenue management as um, functions that support some decision making that lead to a more, more optimal mix of the shipments or passengers we carry on board. So it looks at uh, the profitability per, per passenger and basically segments the capacity and allows us to do some decision-making with regards to what we accept at which point in the, of time in the booking uh, cycle. But commercial optimization is a term that I use to refer to the fact that all aspects in the business need to be much better aligned by harmonizing the overall system. And when I say overall system, I mean with a big S. So by looking at all the different functions that operate, all the commercial functions within the overall business model, and then supported by optimization technology. So essentially, it is the point at which all departments, like network planning, aircraft assignment, uh, marketing, pricing, capacity management, customer management and loyalty, are they are all using a platform where the overall logic combined results in maximized profit and a maximized equilibrium of loyalty. Meaning you can, for example, instead of operating in silos where you could look at optimized pricing, if you look at that at a transactional level, irrespective of individual customers and how profitable they are for you in all the markets, and it's never the same for in one market compared to another, 
then you have a very different perspective than if you look at the pricing optimization function in combination with the individual customers themselves and then find a new optimized mix. It gives a much higher level of optimization, but also leads to consistency and leads to higher customer service and appreciation, and ultimately to a healthier mix of the bottom line. So this can only be done with a new type of technology supported by science, where you have such deep insights that this will be done, uh, not be able to do uh, manually anyways. Yeah, so essentially it's, it's aggregating or integrating all of those business functions into or onto a common platform. Right. And, and this is the, the part where pros comes in as a company. And we, we definitely will have additional conversations and opportunities to talk about this with you. Uh, but what I also wanted to just leave some time talk, to talk about is uh, some of the current research that you're working on. I know you've published a, a book before and you're working on something in the near future, correct? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, but actually, if you're referring to the previous uh, work, well, let's or maybe talk about current work. The current work really involves uh, the commercial optimization. So um, right. at Pros, uh, we are investing in a modern platform for uh, what I call commercial optimization. And it includes some of the elements we discussed, so pricing and, and commercial optimization. And we're in the process of adding modules onto the common platform and that drive the digital commerce, but also allow this more aligned approach to all business uh, functions. So that's currently what I've been, uh, been looking at. So in addition to that, in the last uh, eight to 10 years, I've been heavily involved in helping customers and, and companies that transform their business. And what I mean, my interpretation of that is, we're not talking about necessarily change management, which is really about helping people and teams to complete tasks differently and create a new uh, modus operandi. But I'm really talking about change leadership, which is about inspiring people to think differently and to see new ways of working that would benefit not only themselves, but also the company and the people they work with. So this is an area where I'm, I'm spending more time uh, not because I've been involved in this, uh, but also based on the different things I have studied and been able to apply. And based on those different uh, projects with customers, I've actually also been able to, uh, to gather my comments and the lessons learned to draft some of the methodologies that work and also describe in which situations they work. So we can help companies adopt ways that will facilitate the transformation that they need to go through before uh, even just going through a technological transformation because they, they kind of go uh, hand in hand. So we find this is a very important uh, topic in, in what we do these days. Yeah, and that's really fascinating. I think we could have an entire podcast episode about change leadership with you. That would be, be in, very interesting indeed, yeah. Well, we like to end every episode of our travel podcast with an, a travel question. You know, many of us are missing the days of when we were flying all the time or traveling and planning vacations. So uh, in that note, would you like to tell us something about your most memorable travel experience? Yes, I, 
That's a good question. Uh, there are many, um, but I remember I once flew from uh, Hong Kong. Well, I flew to Hong Kong in 1996, just prior to the handover from the UK to, to China. Uh, I was completing my master's in air transport management at Cranfield, and I flew from the old Kai Tak airport to uh, London Heathrow. And I had a friend with me, and he insisted we would go to the flight deck. He, he was one of those. Now, uh, he explained uh, what we did to the captain, and he the captain actually insisted uh, we chat for a bit and asked us to sit around. And, well, we wondered why. But as he was explaining that um, within a few moments, we would reach the snow-covered caps of the Himalayas. And it was the middle of the night. It was full moon, and it was absolutely stunning. Oh, wow absolutely stunning but he was a funny guy he liked to boast around and it was also the time he joked around saying this was not the time to have one or two OE, um, oeis which stands for one engine in operative oh, uh, because he was he was explaining that obviously we had taken off maximum takeoff weight with lots of payload and fuel so it was his funny way of joking around that this is not what we should be losing altitude um, but I can tell you that uh, the the rooftop of the world was uh, close enough for me uh, to see. But it really was a memorable and a stunning oh, image sure. as well. I'm yeah. sure that was a, a breathtaking scene to see the top of the Himalayas. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, great. Well, Ricardo, thank you so much for this conversation. I think it, it was a really great um in lots of insights all the way from passenger air all the way to air cargo and uh, commercial optimization so we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us thanks for listening to the pros travel podcast the view from Thirty Thousand feet special thanks to our guest and our producer genevieve todd we hope you enjoyed this episode if you have feedback a burning idea or know of an industry expert we should feature shoot us an email at ametha at pros.com that's a-m-e-h-t-a at pros.com you are now free to move about the cabin <laughs>